in, in setting your anticipation, I, I probably won't mention or go in detail over speci um, many specific biblical doctrines. Um, uh, perhaps I got hung up on the title of uh, Doctrines Worth Dying For, um, but I'm going to share with you what, what the Lord laid on my heart, <clears throat> and I, like I wouldn't preach this type of message to the congregation at home because of its dimension. I'm going to preach to you as leaders um, that study the word and trust uh, that we can come to, um, that we can understand each other. The passage of scripture given to me is in 1 Timothy 1 as, a, as an opening. It's the last three verses here of 1 Timothy 1, 18, 19, and 20. It says, This charge I commit to thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I believe in Second uh, Timothy 2.17, it tells us, Hymenaeus said the, the resurrection is already past, and that's what he taught and preached and believed that was his doctrine and, he and it says they have made shipwreck of the faith evidently the impact on the church was to that others made shipwreck of the faith because of Hymenius' doctrine Alexander uh, perhaps is, is Alexander the coppersmith that we read of in in uh, Acts that I believe was initially attracted to the faith, perhaps seeing a business opportunity, then, under, then when people became converted and were putting away their idols, then it impacted his business, and so he turned against it. And Paul, he, like he twisted it, and so Paul is telling Timothy in verse 18, he says, I charge thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies, or to, according to the doctrine uh, that went before thee, and the phrasing is important, meaning it wasn't it's not based on Paul's idea, it's not even, um, it's not based on a, a present situation, but rather it's an application of the whole canon of scripture that uh, that he's charging him that they may war a good warfare 
I just the uh, the title is doctrines worth dying for. Uh, so. Um, a dictionary definition of doctrine is a body or system of teachings relating to a particular subject. So what would, uh, what are people giving their lives for? There's a lot of people giving their lives. I picked this one because um, there's at least some momentary peace there. <laughs> it's about to become so extreme sports. Uh, there's a lot of people looking for meaning, meaning in life that are going after extreme sports. There's a lot of our young men they're getting involved in extreme sports I met I met um, a young man in Montana that was into snowboarding had a terrible accident was in a coma for three weeks and when he came out just he's like about 18 years old he had a personality change he's different from what he was before because of extreme sports. He almost gave his life for it. It's also in Montana, uh, there's some young men with had last names like Bear and Troyer that had a contract with Polaris to uh, do uh, uh, snowmobile commercials, and it was outrunning. Avalanches. They'd go trigger avalanche and outrun it. And Polaris gave them the souped up equipment to go and do it. And one day they went out to do it just for fun. I tickled these boys. I held them on my knee. And they went out just to do it for fun. The Troyer boy was engaged to be married the next Saturday. And they went and triggered an avalanche, and the bear boy outran it, but the trailer boy was killed. If you visit, go to southern Montana to Little Bighorn, and walk up that hill where, where Custer made his last stand, and you look at the little stones on the hill where the men fell there's way too many Millers and Hostetlers and Martins and Bronks Mennonite boys that were enamored with Custer's charges in the Civil War they joined a cause Then we have the news of Paris and the bombing. Bombers giving their life for a cause, 
for a caliphate and this caliphate is supposed to proceed from Muhammad a prophecy and uh, it's similar to the book of Revelation only um, they're trying to usher in the battle of Armageddon so that Islam will triumph and reign supreme that's behind this what's behind this but you know wind it back a few short years before that and you had Americans uh, giving their lives for Iraqi freedom to the Muslim it looked just like the same terrorism as we, it's being called it's being called in France and the reason for them being there was also based on someone's view of prophecy to help usher in the kingdom of the peace of Christ that's why they were there help usher in the thousand year reign of Christ that's why the inv that invasion took place these are viewpoints similar in their error and it's based on doctrine a a system of teaching relating to particular beliefs so what is doctrine definition what we are interested in if in second timothy we have these great passages that uh, that are given it says for all scripture second timothy 316 all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness and so um, and in 2 Peter 1.21 it says for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost let's just think about those two things for a moment um, the prophets of old said hear the word of the Lord or something similar and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says but I say unto you I say unto you do you ever consider how, how from a human standpoint how absurd that statement is but what authority like this is the difference between the prophets they were exponents of doctrine but Jesus is articulating doctrine just uh, 
with all authority, I say unto you. So Jesus is no mere prophet. He spoke it in person. And it's authority direct from God. The prophets also spoke with authority direct from God. But these, these things are important conceptually. The Christian movement at its inception was not just a way of life in the modern sense, but it was a way of life based on a message. It's not based on feelings or certain works that you need to do. It's based on doctrine. And doctrine at its core is based on historical fact with implications for today. And if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And this is... The scriptural event is set forth. 1 Corinthians 15. And this is the core for us as Christians, in Christian doctrine, biblical doctrine. In scripture, the event is set forth, and then the meaning of the event. And, and that, is, that is the core of what I'm going to have to say this afternoon. Again, the scripture, in the scriptures, the event is set forth, and then the meaning of the event. So in 1 Corinthians 15, verse, uh, do I have the right passage here? 3, yeah, 3 and 4. Paul says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ Jesus died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Right. Now this, this take this apart. Christ Jesus died. That's, that's history. Christ Jesus died for our sins is doctrine. So this is the coming together of the event, the historical event, and the implication for today. So Christ Jesus died, and of it all, doctrine needs to be based on that premise. Without these two elements coming together, there can be no Christianity. Verse 4 says, And that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So the event is set forth in the meaning of the event. And if we think back to the, to the fact of Christ's death it left Peter James and John weak discouraged disillusioned fearful hiding and a few days later they set out to conquer the world with the message he is risen 
That's the power of doctrine. Back in First Timothy, the, what I read in the opening there, uh, it says, I charge, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies. And if you would turn or go back to verses 3 and 4 of First Timothy, it says, As I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus and went into Macedonia, that, that thou mayest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, that they rightly divide this word of truth. And they're struggling there. The early church struggled with the Judaizers. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So, he's telling them, these also were using scripture, but they weren't rightly dividing the scripture. And this, this change, you know, this change in Peter, James, and John, from, from hiding and fearful and disillusioned, to setting out to conquer the world without fear... Yeah, they had a faith worth dying for. But at this, this core, think of this core. The scriptural event is set forth, and then the meaning of the, of the event. And I want to read you something that just happened. This, this is a post on EMU's website from September 21st of this year where they are, have withdrawn from the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities because they are hiring same-sex staff. And they were asked to give the scriptural foundation for inclusion of those same-sex marriages. And then there's five points they give, but I'm just going to read one. They title it, The Reconciling Peace of Christ, Ephesians 4, uh, 2, 14. says of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So they use scripture. And they use, they're using that as a, a scriptural foundation to justify and saying that uh, this is going to break down the dividing wall between the traditional position and, and same sex. Justifying. But see, they are using scripture, but it's not based in historical fact. If you, would, if you go back into that passage... The passage is not addressing same-sex relationships. It's addressing the Jews and the Gentiles coming together, not outside of Christ. The Gentiles aren't welcoming, welcome to bring all their trash and rubbish with them into the church. They are to separate themselves from their past, just as the Jews were supposed to separate themselves from their past. And they're supposed to all come together in Christ and be one in Christ. They're supposed to leave that's the sins of fornication 
um, you know, in Jude it talks about, uh, and just, you know, uh, just a sidebar to this, uh, the brother mentioned the immorality of, of the age. Um, Calvin mentioned that in, in the book of Jude it talks about the fornication of Sodom and Gomorrah that puts fornication in that same and in that same context and if you want to do a study on that idea of fornication it's it within the New Testament some places the, the it's the uh, sins are listed categorically you know like in Galatians 5 the works of flesh are manifest which are and he goes down you know adultery fornication so on but in the other places it's evident from the, from in Jude where he they're all lumped together into one whether it's whether it's um, whether it's uh, gay lifestyles whether it's adultery whether it's you know the fornication it's up and even even immodest dress is all addressed as fornication in those passages they're all in one package uh, if you want to do a study on that sometime so when when we separate when we separate the scripture from their historical context then they will justify just about anything you can justify just about anything from them so that would lead me to my next uh, point of balance balance in doctrine and and I want to, us to look at a couple of passages let's first of all turn to Philippians 1 and and look at uh, what was happening here let's you could call this um, magnificent tolerance let's restart say verse 12 but I would have ye uh, but I would ye should understand brethren that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all places in the palace and in all places and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are more bold to speak the word without fear so the first thing that happened that um, because he was imprisoned is that there's, the brethren became bold to speak uh, they didn't just leave it to Paul but everyone uh, many it says many of the brethren began to speak uh, the word without fear and then it says some indeed preached Christ uh, even of envy and strife they evidently were envious of Paul his ability and and some also of goodwill now I would just have loved to hear the Apostle Paul preach because you can take you can take uh, say Romans 10 and in Romans 10 Paul blends um you know, the Leviticus and Deuteronomy and 
Isaiah and Joel and Psalms. He blends it all together. And you'd have to study a long time to keep the scriptural context within. But he brings them all together there in, in one passage. And I can understand some perhaps being envious of Paul's ability. And it's evidently some did did it for self-promotion or that they were thought they had some ability to it says one preached 16 the one preached Christ of contention not sincerely supposing it would add affliction to my bonds so they're trying to kind of rub it in his nose that they can preach too or something or they're, they're better than he is uh, it says but in, uh, someone else another of love knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel what then notwithstanding every way whether in pretense or in truth Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice yea I will rejoice he rejoiced in the fact that that Christ was being preached so there's some magnificent tolerance there wasn't there did you know that in this service one of the songs how many of you think Faith of Our Fathers is a very moving song very good song show by your raised hands you sang it fairly emphatically do you know who wrote it? a Catholic priest in England so we showed some pretty magnificent tolerance didn't we? but Paul was tolerant in that the doctrine that he preached was clear but it, does this mean this is how he always approached things go with me to the book of Galatians Galatians 2 I think maybe I just back up a bit here and say I think we also uh, demonstrate some magnificent tolerance among ourselves here at Bible school right one year you study uh Revelation from a premillennial view and the next time from an all-millennial view and I'm going to need some magnificent tolerance before I get to the end of this sermon uh, now in Galatians 2 I, we can start the, the account here just refresh your minds so verse 11 and when Peter was come to Antioch I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed see there isn't magnificent tolerance here for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. When they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them that were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise from him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away in their dissimulation. So it's, Peter seems to have been there for a period of time. And he ate with everybody, just they were all brothers and so on. And, but then when these, these Jews, Judaizers, came from from Jerusalem Peter withdrew and in so much that Barnabas also withdrew says but when I saw they walked not, not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel I said unto Peter before them all if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Jews and not as the Jews why compelest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews 
We who are Jews by nature and not the sinners of the Gentiles know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even as ye, we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no man be justified. And we could go on and read the rest of it. But the basic premise and problem, first of all, was that, we just leave it, that Paul said, first you believe in Christ, then you are justified before God. And what is justification? See, the passage that says that uh, there is none righteous, no, not one, still stands. There is none righteous. But if we confess our sin and believe in Christ, so if we had to have a, a rough chart here of, of, of spiritual accomplishment or a spiritual standing before God, this would be like a hundred percent perfect, a perfect spiritual position. And this is how many years did you live in life? Is is there anybody here at a hundred percent? Who is perfect? Jesus Christ. Christ. So we have Christ up here. This is what your spiritual walk with God. But your spiritual achievement, how do you get on the chart? Through Christ. Salvation. So where did you start? Did you start in it? 50% we were talking about some books that think, don't even think man has a, some are Mennonite people don't hardly think man has a fallen nature. Conservative Mennonite people that we have the same chance as Adam and Eve. Where did we start? 50%? We start down here. And, 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 what? And we grow in knowledge, right? Are we always going up? So how does the trajectory of your life, if you started, you say if you started at 15 is the trajectory of your life like that? Is there some flat spots? Is there some different spots? We could spend a lot of time here, but what makes the difference? When you are perfect in Christ when you are justified what what makes the difference you just started up you confessed your sins and, and would you be satisfied to live today like you lived in Christ 15 years ago absolutely not so you're, you're not here anymore you're, you're somewhere else in here what what makes the difference what makes the difference between here and here Blood of Jesus Christ keeps cleansing. That's called the grace of God. That's what that difference is. 
And between our efforts to live for Christ and the perfection of Christ, God says, I accept that by the blood of Christ, and that's called justification. It's a declaration by God that says, I accept your efforts to live for Christ. We know how fallible we are. We know our weakness. But God, Jesus, if, if we are continually applying the blood of Christ to our life, we are justified and declared righteous. And before God, we're going, you know, when we get to glory, that passage that says, you know, have, you know, when did we do all these things? And Jesus says, in as much as he did unto one of the least of these, my brothers. You're not aware that you're doing this. And, and this justification, this declaration, see, we are then justified before God. And then we proceed to keep the law of God. But we're not, we're not going to... We can. Because it says, by the works of the flesh can no man be justified. That's what it says. I guess I'm talking about... This is, this is what's going on at the church at Galatia. And the Judaizer said that you believe in Christ... And then you keep the law as best you can. See, you still got to be circumcised. There's some other things you still have to do. And then you're justified. <coughs> like, what, what, do we call, what do we call that today? Do we get caught in this today? See that there isn't there isn't a wall high enough that you could build to keep your people from sinning and transgressing. There's nothing. You got to be You've got to have that vital relationship with Jesus Christ every day. Every day. Uh, Brother Merle was talking about the difference between the concepts. This here is would have been a magnificent tool to clean up all them Gentile cities, right? Keep that law. But it wouldn't transform lives. Really, in essence, this is Calvinism. That's what this is. And Calvin, Cal, the Calvinist thing is that you're saved by grace. You can live however you want, but you're saved by grace. But they still have a whole bunch of works that <laughs> you've got to kind of do in order to be a good Calvinist. They still have lots of works. If, if Paul... See, here we come back to this tolerance and intolerance. If, if Paul had not withstood the Judaizers, if they had succeeded... 
the early church would have died right there. And for us today to be discerning and understanding, not just, you know, we can't just pick up because of these Jews had position and power and so on, we can't just pick up any old book that comes down the publications pipeline and run with it. Like it, We can't just pick our sermons off the internet, if you will. I, I, and I say those things because I've just heard too many of them. We've we got to take, spend time with the Word and, and uh, apply this Word to, to, our, to our walk with Christ. And have understanding. Like, have this key understanding about how important that relationship is with Christ and what justification is. I wanted to point out Paul's two different approaches between the church at Philippi and the church at Galatia. My third point here is the purpose of doctrine. And if you would turn with me to the book of Revelation. And I think I will take my take time and read the entire chapter twelve of the book of Revelation that is the sun clad woman and I guess when I said I wouldn't, wasn't going to address any specific doctrines I was teaching you doctrine here uh, but it isn't the standard ones maybe that you thought of like the ordinances and so on uh, that's for you to research and apply and, and teach to your congregations. But let's read this book of Revelation and allow this, and let's apply the principle that we set out of um, what the scripture That the, in the scripture the event is set forth and then the meaning of the event and in this prophetic literature let's do some thinking and there appeared a great wonder in heaven a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars and she being with child cried travailing in birth and pain to be delivered and there appeared another wonder in heaven behold a great dragon a great red dragon having seven heads and ten thorns and seven crowns on his heads and his and his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and did cast them into the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared of God 
that they should feed her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his a- Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was there any place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent, called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, and heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. The devils come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast down into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she was nursed for a time, times, and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right. For today for what we are looking at today I want to go through this passage it's very evident from from uh, verse 1 that the woman is Israel and verse 2 she being with child cried, travailing in birth, pain to be delivered. And you have that Old Testament history of of Israel's up and down spiritually, you know, the carrying away into Babylon, the great difficulty coming back, you know, that great struggle of Ezra and Nehemiah to to bring about revival in in uh, in Israel, so that they would not be destroyed again. And verse three, you have the great red dragon, with in representing kingdoms of the earth, and he he has his angels, third of the stars, a third part of the star of. And he stands before the woman, ready to devour her child. The picture is being drawn here, and it portrays here how uh, the amazing provision 
the, the, the turmoil, the pain, the travailing in birth of Israel to bring forth this child, this promised Messiah. And all that history that we read and refer to from time to time in the Old Testament. And behind this deception, you know, that they were given the law. And while you know, Satan entices them with idols in the idolatry of the world, and they, they succumb and they follow, and then there's revival and so on, this, this, this travailing, this seesawing back and forth, back and forth, until actually, you know, um, you, we could look at genealogy where, where um, God makes a declaration in Jeremiah where he, there was two kings in, in Israel. One is called Jehoiakim and the other is called Jehoiachin. And I believe the one called Jehoiachin is abbreviated to Jeconiah. They call him Jeconiah in Matthew's genealogy. And God makes a declaration when Jeconiah is uh, off of the throne that there's no more kings going to sit on the throne in Israel. And there wasn't any king to sit on the throne of Israel. Demonstrating a few things. Number one, that kings in Israel were never God's will. And further, that... Uh, uh, and, and this is where he put an end to it. But the scripture prophesied that from David would come this, this uh, you know, it was the line of the tribe of Judah. It was King, King David's descendant that, would, that, that the Messiah would come through that. And uh, so you have it coming, you know, that it seems impossible at that point, it seems impossible that how can there be how can prophecy of Scripture be fulfilled concerning the birth of Christ with everything that's on on the table? And and what are what are the possibilities? What are the probabilities of of you know Joseph coming from? one line of David and Mary coming from another line of David and, and they get together they're betrothed to be married and at that particular moment in Luke 2 God intervenes and, and you have the immaculate conception so then Christ has the legal lines from Joseph, but God has also kept his word that no king from Jeconiah's descendant, who Joseph was, would ever sit on the throne again. And Christ gets his pure bloodlines from Mary through another son of David. And so the, the devil, in all his efforts, is trying to prevent this event from happening but God miraculously causes it to come to pass. And it does go forward. God's will will go forward. 
and it's our decision of whether or not we're going to be part of it. That's our decision. And our part in that is whether we will maintain and hold on to pure doctrine. That is where it is at. And in that, and then um, verse 5 says, He brought forth a man-child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron, which is obviously Christ. Israel brought forth, then Mary brought forth, and it says the woman fled into the wilderness in verse 6, and she's there for two and a half years. Is that how that works out? Anyways, it's two and a half or three and a half. It's three and a half years. And, <clears throat> but you know, uh, tell me this. How does, how do, how does it, you know, Joseph and Mary were desperately poor. How does a poor Nazarite couple leave in the middle of the night and live for three and a half years in Egypt. Like, travel is expensive now, right? But somebody got talking about economics here, about uh, how much better we have it today than, than 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Like, how about this? How, what do you suppose how much of their income they spent on cost of living back in this? Was it 80% or more? How did... How did this couple go to Egypt for three and a half years and live on nothing. Nobody lives on nothing. How did they afford it? How did they get there? It's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Just, they come, they give their gifts. That night, Joseph gets the vision. It's time to go. God's miraculous provision. <laughs> Can you live like that? <clears throat> the accuser brethren is cast down, and then, um, what does it say here? Verse 13. And it says, When the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which was brought forth uh, that brought forth a man child which is Paul makes it really plain from the book of Galatians that the church of the old and the church of the new the faithful of the old and the faithful of the new are, are one and that and the woman the woman of the new testament is the church or the woman of this passage verse 13 is the church and, and it says here, to the woman, to the church, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she was nourished for time, times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And that phraseology is very similar to verse 6 where it says the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God they might feed her for a thousand two hundred like the same length of time so what it's pointing out there is that about the miracle the, the provision for the woman being uh, persecuted by the dragon in verse 13 has the same provision of verse 6 or we could relate it to Joseph and Mary and 
and that and there's a place of refuge for her. Verse uh, 16 says, In your earth help the woman, or 15 says, The earth serpent cast out of his mouth water as if as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood and I believe I believe the picture here is that false doctrine everything we've been talking about the things that we're facing uh, that was cast the, the devil has cast it out to, to overwhelm the church are you feeling overwhelmed the question was asked will the, will the church survive this present age and it's a legitimate question and people have been asking that question for generations will it survive can it succeed and it's that flood there's that, always that flood that the serpent is casting out after the church but it says the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that they could soar and rise above the flood and I believe that flood whether it's false doctrine false ideas or like Judaizers that sort of idea the twists and turns of human reasoning but that the wings of the eagle given to the church uh, is the doctrine of Christ and the New Testament and the apostles the doctrines of 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 Separation, the doctrines of nonconformity, the doctrines of salvation, name them, go home, preach them. It's through these doctrines that the that the, the church is, is going to be able to prevail and overcome. It says the earth helped the woman, and I believe that is the passage of time. It has to do with this earth, time and sense. And time and it's like this. Lies have a shelf life. The truth is eternal. And in the passage of time, the passage of time, you know, uh, was a moral talked about the separation and, and this idea of just, he talked about just not, we don't want to be like them. You know, the passage of time, that comes to an end. That's not good enough. That won't take you far enough. That dare not be our doctrine. It may last a generation, like he said. We have to articulate a biblical position, a, a biblical vision. The passage of time has also proven that, that I read this statement from EMU. The passage of time has proven and shown where they've gone and where that thinking has gone. Right? And the only safe anchor is in the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ in the church. That's the only safe anchor. So what doctrine would you give your life for? Back to our opening thoughts. I picked up a one of our national newspapers called the Globe and Mail. It had a couple articles in it about the Paris bombing. The one talked about the massive influx of Muslims, this refugee crisis coming into Europe. And it's not just Syrians. 
it's anybody and everybody. And uh, and how to prevent these types of events from becoming too commonplace, like the bombing. These people are coming. How do we prevent these bombings from become becoming too commonplace? And uh, secularization was his answer. He said that becomes secularized. Secularize these people. In other words, get them living for the materialism of the age. Somewhat religious, but no impact to their to what they really believe. So busy living for self. So secularization is the answer. Religion is the problem. The other article actually told followed these men through their place there in Brussels their community where they grew up and they were they were born in Brussels they actually grew up in a secular community they were Arabic but they were secular and then the mastermind of it visited Syria and became radicalized based on this caliphate he was given purpose and focus in life western nations think their rabbit pursuit of materialism is the answer and that's actually American religion and Calvin was talking about some of those things right happening to Mennonite in Mennonite communities and his isn't the only heart that has gone way down and 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 he's not the only one that's been hardly able to preach because of what he's seen in the communities I also have experienced these things and it concerns me greatly But you know, secularization um, has left our Western peoples actually sitting ducks, like so many fat chickens waiting for the fox to come. They ha they have no answer. They have no power to withstand you know the um, withstand this ideology. They're so far removed from from strength. Strength comes from God alone. Strength and insight. And they've lost their insight. Insight comes from living a scriptural lifestyle. That's what gives you insight into for life and living. So secularization has left them with no answer and no power. And they haven't figured that out yet. All right. In my time as a minister, what are we here? October, uh, December what? How much? December what? Second. Ah, second? In two days, 
In two days, it will be 25 years. And in that 25 years, I was youth pastor uh, for 10, and then now I'm youth pastor again because of our present church expansion. In that, in, in, and watch these young people come up and through. In that 25 years, we've almost lost a whole generation out of our churches to secularization. And they ain't going to have any more answers. than the rest of the world. We have to engage. We have to engage with doctrine from the heart. We have to engage. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 and that's been mentioned here a couple of times enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be that go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life and few there be that find it we live in an age of the mistaken idea that you can get to heaven on the broad road and there's an old saying that is we either choose the road and accept the destination or we choose the destination and accept the road. And we need to, to by the power and the grace of God inspire our people to choose the destination and accept the road. Two specific doctrines I want to look at. 1 Timothy 3. And this is in closing. <clears throat> 3 1. It says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. This is a true saying. This is true doctrine. That's what that means. That's what that phrase means. This is true doctrine. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. I ask you, do you desire? And, I, and, and this, um, in the King James translation, there was a man involved in the translation thing. His name was called Robert Bancroft. And he was trying to reinforce the... the um, Church of England's position that don't have any pastors they just have bishops and deacons right and so when he got the final manuscript he went through it and changed areas where it said pastors he changed them to he changed it to bishops to reinforce this idea that there's just bishops and deacons that's the one problem with the King James translation but the application is clear and it's not just bishops. I want everyone here, 
that is called to the ministry, whether you've been in it, whether you've been, whether you are retiring, whether you think of retiring, or you have just been ordained, do you desire your office? What would make you desire it? We got talking about places here where people uh, in in Philippians where people desired position and they were thought they'd inflict some pain on Paul by what they were doing. You know, motives weren't that pure. Do you desire your office? Do you desire your responsibility? Do you desire where you're at? Do you know what this passage means? The passage means... Are you ready? It means that as you look out over the church and the spiritual condition and the great work that needs to be accomplished and you understand the sacrifices, you understand the pain, you understand what's going to be in front of you, you understand that it might even impact your health, you understand that it's going to be a deeply painful journey. But you want to do it for Jesus. Do you want to do it? That's what it means. Or do you feel trapped? Do you feel trapped? Do you feel trapped by circumstances, the situation? Do you feel trapped by the problems, by the assault? by the flood of Satan and the evil that is coming your way and you feel like where is there air someone Calvin talked about that hose you know where is air do we know where the wings of the eagle are kept can we get them can we fly we've got to find them or will just be a footnote in history. Do we see the great work God has chosen to do through the foolishness of preaching? The foolishness of your preaching. And by the way, thank you for your magnificent tolerance as I went through the book of Revelation The next one, the doctrine I want to look at is in John 17. The high priestly prayer of Christ. Verse 8, we'll start at verse 8. Notice this. He says, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Jesus said, But I say unto you. The words came from God. Doctrine is based on the historical event. Christ died. And the application for today, our sins. All doctrine is based 
And here it is, I have given them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I am come out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Stop there. I pray for them. Them is who? Is it just? Is well, okay? Verse 20 tells us who them are. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And that's you and me. That's anybody who's making the declaration that they want to follow Christ. They're embracing the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the church. Jesus prayed for them. that they might triumph so can the church triumph in what 2015 is just about done can it triumph in 2016 how is it going to triumph it's through the words that have been given us right it's through Christ the Christ words that have been given us. And how are the people going to get the words? It's through you. Do you have the courage? Do you have the fortitude? Do you have the faith? Where are you? Where are you in your faith? Here's some. Do you see the grace of God? How big the grace of God is? To take you from... It, it, like it's not wrong to feel, have discouraging thoughts. It's not wrong to feel overwhelmed. It's not wrong to feel... These things. It's not wrong to feel like there's a big flood coming after us. But there's wings of an eagle. Um... To take us to a place prepared for us. And that's not just future tense, brothers and sisters, it's right now. Let's go there. Let's go there. Let's, it's worth dying for.